live from Shelley's back room. It is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me around the table, Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Carl Tuvin, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, and Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for Backroom Politics. Let's join the roundtable live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. The best political talk show you've never heard of. Uh, Justin Russell is away this weekend up in the Garden State of New Jersey, because every time we think of New Jersey, we think of, obviously, the Garden State. But also around the table, because she's not included in the uh, recorded introduction, is Denise Krepp. Hello, Denise. Hello. And so we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of things today. Uh, we're going to talk about Donald Trump doubling down on his accusations about the election being rigged, Mel- Melania Trump speaking to Anderson Cooper and accepting the Donald's apology. I-, I am touched and surprised. Uh, we're going to talk about Hillary Clinton's email problem. Is it is it something new or is it something that we actually need to worry about uh, continuing on to actually potentially deliver Trump the election? And last but not least, we will also be talking about, blessedly, the third and final debate. And will SNL find a new and humorous way of making fun of that one, too? And last and after that, tell me a story. But as we enter today's discussion, Donald Trump um, courageously talking about many things and boldly stating that the election might be stolen from him and taking the, the, <laughs> taking the reins to be a leader to his pack. Alan Moore, could this actually be dangerous or is he actually being a courageous leader worrying about the election being stolen? Uh, there's nothing courageous here. Um, it... it you don't know whether to laugh because it, it, it is so outside the realm of the institutions of government that have served us so well for more than 200 years, or to cry because he is attempting to undercut public reliance on acceptance of the entire electoral process. We have this fabulous, amazing democratic history in in this country where we continue to have elections, they're disputed, they're contested, but the outcome leads to orderly transition of power. There have been no, uh, no failures for orderly transition to occur. Um, there was a period of time when, when Franklin Roosevelt was president where you, there were no limitations on terms. He was actually elected four times. He only served a, a year or less of his, his last term before dying. But, but, and we changed that. So we, we term limited the presidency. What we've got now is a guy who's feeding this notion that the, the system is somehow fixed and that elections themselves are both corruptible and may be corrupted in this case. There's no evidence of this. 
But there is a base of people in the country who are suspicious of everything that happens by government, particularly at the national level. And he feeds that fear. And the country has to believe that it works, A, and has to peacefully accept transitions when they do occur. Uh, To not accept is undermining the whole notion of what America is. And, and, And to potentially revolt against a result you don't like uh, has potential dangerous ramifications uh, uh, to the physical health of people. It is really outrageous. I mean, part of it is so absurd that you want to laugh, but the fundamental part for me is to be horrified and distressed by it. Congressman Swift, you've actually been elected to office office and obviously had to steal elections to do it. And you, outside of the beltway elite, tell us how Trump is actually right, or is he actually wrong? Well, he's, he's, he's clearly wrong. One of the things that I wanted to ask the people that, that, uh, that think that they're going to steal elections, or for that matter, are so opposed to certain election reforms because they think it will lead to stealing elections. How do they think it would happen? How would you do it? How would you, how would you go about stealing this election? The, the fact is that in, in, in those instances in our historical past where some of the big city machines uh, at the turn of the century were pretty corrupt, uh, but, but they always stole it from inside the courthouse. They had people inside who could who could hide ballots and create ballots and do things like that. You can't do that now, uh, or at least there aren't any organizations like the the organizations they had in Philadelphia and New York and Chicago and so forth. You, you if you wanted to steal this election, I would defy anybody to come up with a way you could do it. Well, that probably should be delved into a little bit more, but Dean Scrapple, you first. The congressman's right. And when, when he says, you know, last century, he's talking about 100 years ago. He's, he's not talking about 15 years ago. Um, you know, and, and that was the day before electronics and before you had people with Twitter and Facebook and phones. Uh, there's no way. I mean, if somebody was to try to lift a box, everybody's watching. Where's that box going? If any, anybody's touching the machine. Who's touching the machine? You can have a lot of people watching. How is the machine being touched? And they're doing that because they're concerned about um, each other. What, what troubles me about the references to Chicago and Philadelphia is those are um, those are cities that are heavily uh, minority. And, and so while Jump, Donald Trump is, is saying in one hand, you know, to the African American community, you should vote for me because I, uh, you know, I'm going to look out for you. At the same time, he's also saying to the African-American community, I don't trust you. I think you're going to steal the vote. So it, it seems to be a very mixed message and a horrific message at that. Well, and I, I'd like to add one other thing. It, it, because Trump has demonstrated, to my satisfaction, he knows very, very little about government. And I think asking him the question of how would you rig an election, to use his verb, uh, he... He has probably no idea how it would be done. He just figures vaguely there's 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 got to be some way to do it, and those people are doing it, and it's preposterous. Okay, so uh, uh, Bob Hines, 
I would love, I would love somebody of, of, of stature, maybe one in either, two, the two chairmen of two parties. Yes, say Trump. Hey, Mr. Trump, how do you steal an election? What are you going to do? Tell it. How are you going to do it? Where's your campaign to do that? How are we going to organize that? What are you talking about? Just shut up and go away. <laughs> Unfortunately, we are only nine minutes into the show, and I have to take off my satirical hat already. Um, so, but there are some serious issues as far as stealing elections, regardless of what the Donald has to say about it. It's not the 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 dead people voting that's been checked out. Um, I actually got to a discussion uh, a few months ago with with a friend of mine who's a conservative that correctly pointed out that there are 2.4 million dead people on the rolls as of in 2012. And I politely walked through him the numbers of the of the 204 million dead people that were on the rolls. How many of them actually voted? Then once you discount for California, Texas, and New York, what does that number turn into? And not to mention the, the sheer logistical issues of the getting all of those dead people to vote can be a little bit challenging. However, um, it, it is worth noting there have been other issues. Back in 2000, the 2000 election, which many Democrats said was stolen from Al Gore um, at the ballot box, in part because of the butterfly ballot, which while technically illegal, went unchallenged uh, by Democrats at the time. Or when Janet Reno was running for governor and lost, I believe, less than a couple thousand votes. And in districts where she was heavily favored to win, voting machines, and this was right after the transition to the electronic voting machines, which I am wildly against, um, because the technology, the poll workers, for the most part, do not understand the technology they are working with, and there are still some serious questions as far as their hackability. But in Janet Reno's case, those voting machines uh, in areas that she was predicted to win mysteriously had power outages. So, and that happened in enough communities to raise questions. And I believe they were out for about half the day. So, people who arrived prior to work to go vote didn't get a chance to vote in the primary. And, it, and it's happened in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> I worked, uh, actually, the claim was working for somebody who was. Um, uh, challenged for voter fraud. That was Charlie Rose in uh, 1994. And, and I can remember uh, working for him and, and it, it went into the court system. Yeah, he was challenged. And it was a question of Lumberton. You know, and everybody unfortunately knows Lumberton these days because that's where all the flooding occurred in North Carolina this past week. Uh, but he was found innocent. And he was found innocent because it's really, really hard. Really, really hard to do that. And that's why it, it, have all these dead people. Now, I, I don't know as many about the power outages because we didn't have them there, but there were a lot of claims of dead people. And not only dead people, but there were also some racism um, questions involved in that challenge in the 94 because the individuals who were going, being going after were African-American. We had a lot of white people saying it was the African-Americans who stole the election, which is why I'm concerned about what Trump is saying because it reminds me of what the charges against Charlie. Well, that's the irony of what Trump is doing, right? Because he's, in essence, suggesting ways to steal the election that are impossible, whereas things like voter intimidation or undercounting in minority areas where we expect him to lose are actually the ways that gets done. But, Alan, you had a comment. No, I was reflecting on how being a dead person is sort of the ultimate power outage. 
I think I think I think the thing the, the, the concern that Trump's comments about about certain cities you should go down you should watch cheating is going to occur um, is less about saying people of color are going to cheat and more subtle more subtly the notion you were talking about about voter suppression if there is some fear that there's going to be a group of people around polling places saying who are you um how do we know you actually live here? Can I see some identification? Not that that's not uh, illegal outside of, of uh, a polling place. It's no, it actually it's, is illegal. It's Department of Justice. No, no thank you. Uh, um, it, 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 it's that there's sort of an intimidate, a potential for an intimidation factor that could cause people to say, I just came down here to vote. I'm not looking for trouble. Maybe I'll come back later, and maybe they will, and maybe they won't. Um, I, I uh, as I said, I, I think it's really uh, despicable to talk about rigged elections and supply no current or historical, recent historical evidence that there's any meaningful demonstrable risk of that happening. That's demagoguery and that's despicable. And that's what's what Trump now. I know an, I'm an example of a dead person who voted. <clears throat> in in Washington State you have early voting. And my father in law voted and then he died before election day. But his vote counted. So I think given that we ought to be careful if we see suddenly one party or the other inordinately working the ICUs of hospitals. Let's acknowledge that the Democrats have got a much better voter turnout uh, operation than the Republicans. When you say voter turnout operations, that includes wearing scrubs in the process. Uh, <laughs> no, but... but, 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 but but, but in all seriousness, it is worth noting that Secretary of State Houston, somebody I am not a fan of. I have actually dealt with him in Ohio. Uh, he's done some interesting things for, for uh, cutting early voter turnout. Uh, Bob Hines, you might have a different opinion on, on the good Secretary of State of Ohio. But even he spoke out and said, no, no, we run, we, we run good, fair, clean elections. Uh, the Speaker of the House has said calling into question the election is, is crazy. Mike Pence, the vice presidential nominee underneath Donald Trump, has also said that, no, no, these elections are fair, and we will accept the outcome. American elections are a democratic process. I think Gaines rose above Donald Trump in doing that. I just think it, it so, wouldn't be hard. I was on the ballot two years ago, and uh, we, we had a minor power outage. Uh, it, you know, and I, I spent the entire day shaking hands, please vote for me, please vote for me. Somebody came out and said, hey, she had the voting machine was, was broken. I, so I quickly went in and said, what is the machine broken? They said, yeah. They said, how fast are you going to fix it? Uh, and they said, we don't know. So, I mean, I was just getting on the phone. I was tweeting. I was with the Board of Elections. It was, what are you guys doing? And I bring that up. Because that is what's going to happen in three weeks if there is something going on. People are going to tweet about it. They're going to retweet it. They're going to comment about it. And that's why I know that 
cannot do something as nefarious and as dastardly as Trump is talking about, because I saw firsthand what happened two years ago, and it's going to happen this year as well. I mean, it did. Not going to happen. But Denise, isn't that part of the, the catch? I mean, I've done a, a voter protection. I've been in boiler room operations on at least four or five different campaigns. And the whole setup is, is designed to catch just those issues. However, the, the Trump supporters, or at least I, I won't even say it's all the Trump supporters, the Trump conspiracy theorists vote. So they're these smaller subset. I don't, I don't know if they're the, the, the deplorable subset or not, but they're a subset nonetheless. Those folks have the ability to make a mountain out of a mohill. The, the, the example that, Cong- that uh, Congressman Al mentioned, that a dead person voting, yeah, there have been examples of it. Uh, Indiana actually had a, um, one of the more dramatic, actually I believe their case was one that went to the Supreme Court to be testing the, the voter suppression issues and included voter fraud and dead people voting. And while, yes, they did actually find the examples that Congressman Al mentioned of dead people voting, it was some nominal number, like 10 people over six elections. And it was just that example. It, worth noting, somebody voting absentee, which is the most difficult version to stop, that none of these things that anyone is talking about especially Trump is even suggesting, but the ability to tweet just those things and turn those little instances and say how many millions of people just like this because of that one example. He's going to do that, but I can tell you there are going to be legions of lawyers, and legions is an understatement. I I participated as a lawyer uh, eight years ago for Barack Obama. I went out to Ohio to make sure we, we protected the vote, and we all sat there. And we were all vigilant. And we were all just, let's make sure the Republicans don't do anything bad because we're going to make sure we keep Ohio. And you know what? Nothing happened. Everybody came. They went. We got some donuts. We got some stuff. It's not going to happen. But Donald is making people think that's what's going to happen. And, and, and that's why, you know, I, I agree with Alan. What he's doing is wrong. But I think that's the danger, and if and we'll get to use that concept now, that he's saying nothing is going to happen versus the reality of what does happen, and that it is a nominal thing, and it is not – the cars are mostly safe. Air travel is mostly safe. It's not just there's never an accident and the plane never falls out of the sky, but the fact of the matter is the vote – the odds of your vote getting counted correctly, the odds of, of a voter suppression issue, or actually voter suppression is actually significantly higher than the other one, but the odds of any of these other items happening is so infinitesimally small that that's the weight of the issue. Uh, Congressman Now, What was I going to say? <clears throat> I think you were going to say maybe it's time to move on to a new subject. <laughs> Maybe it's time to move on to what that wasn't what I was going to say. <laughs> but but it's a good maybe, idea. maybe it's a good idea. We, 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 we can stick with the Donald. Um, uh, from, from, from the last debate, and I will, again, go to a world that I would never normally go to, Charles Krautheimer actually said, and, and for those of you who don't know who Charles Krautheimer is, he's a, a conservative com, co- columnist, very conservative columnist. Um, so he, he, he is not a liberal friend nor a friend of the Clintons by any stretch of the imagination. Um, came out and said one of the most troubling things from the last debate was Donald Trump threatening uh, Secretary of State Clinton uh, with prosecution 
Alan Moore, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, it's just one more of the disgusting things that, that a desperate, clawing Donald Trump uh, seems inclined to do. He, he, look, he's way behind. His chances of, of catching up and actually being elected are shrinking rapidly, and he has almost no chance. It would be tempting to say no chance, but that would be stupid. Things, weird things happen in the world, but he has almost no chance of victory. So he's thrashing around, trashing everybody. He has returned to the crooked Hillary moniker, which, which never did him any favor, just because it's, it's one of his gross and disgusting uh, nicknames. Um, which he's used on other Which he uses with, 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 throughout the primaries. And now he's saying... Um, just to try to get attention and sort of feed uh, the, the the beast of his own supporters, which seem to be shrinking, that, hey, you think she's a crook? I think she's a crook. I think that her sins are worse than Watergate. We're, you know, that, that, that she should be, that, 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 that capital punishment should be invoked. There's all sorts of crazy stuff out there that, that, that he is now trying to, to play to, and 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 basically what he's doing, it seems to me, and it, it, what what Krauthammer said, and I totally agree with this, is that this again is is anti-American, anti-democratic, anti-American history. We don't throw uh, opposition politicians into jail as a as a punishment for them losing an election. Now. It, he's not the first who suggested there should be a special prosecutor for Hillary Clinton. That is a different matter. But he was, he's talking, and I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying that, that he was basically going to be uh, prosecutor, j- judge, and jury with uh, a decision that she should be locked up. That's fundamentally wrong. We don't do that to, uh, to, we don't do that to fellow citizens. He's done it before. He did it with the so-called Central Park Five, the group of five teenagers who he were wrong. Tent. He's who, still presently doing. Well, it. he 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 did it in a big way um, back in in the eighties or was it nineties? Anyway, when when this horrible incident occurred and these these boys were railroaded into a confession and it took they were in jail about eight years and finally. The true perpetrator, identified through DNA and his own confessions, was was discovered in these in these five kids um, uh, who lost eight years of their lives were released and given collectively something like forty million dollars by the city of New York. Um, and Donald Trump even last week said, "Yeah, they confessed. I think they were. I think that the, the, I think they were guilty." This guy is unhinged, and it is so depressing to watch him desperately try to find some way to grab onto uh, a victory, even as the polls show it is steadily slipping away. One person's unhinged, another person's bold and decisive leadership. The congressman now. There is one thing... uh, about what he's doing that does disturb me, and that is he's, he's, 
Well, in terms of, of having a real effect, I think Alan makes a very good case that that the probability is that uh, he's going to mess things up, but it's not going to make any sub- substantive difference. But ginning up his true believers worries me because it seems to me that they he's, he's telling them, go to the polls, watch the polls. What if, what if they decide they're going to beat up somebody who they think is doing? What if they decide any, any crazy thing that comes to their mind because Donald Trump told them to do so? I think that's dangerous. I would tend to agree, and for people who need a little reminder on the history, though, thankfully, uh, the Obama administration has been uh, had less of this than some people may have expected. However, it is worth noting that during Obama's, when Obama accepted the nomination, uh, a couple of white supremacists were actually arrested on the ground in Denver uh, with some high-caliber weaponry and heading to take out the then Democratic nominee. Uh, Barack Obama, uh, during Bill Clinton's presidency, uh, we had the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City. We Branch had a... Hmm? We had the Branch Davidians. The Branch? We had Waco. We had, yeah. Uh, we, we had Waco. We had a gentleman open up fire with an AK-47 outside of the White House. Uh, some bullets actually did land within the White House proper. Uh, and most importantly, a anti-tax gentleman literally flew an airplane into the White House. It was a small airplane, but an airplane nonetheless. All of this stuff actually happened, and it was all uh, fueled by some of this anti-government rhetoric in part. Well, and, and I, <laughs> I will remind everyone that just a few days ago down in North Carolina, a, a Republican office was firebombed in a heavily Democratic county. We don't know who did that. My guess is one deranged person, maybe two or three, um, possibly a Democrat who hates Trump, possibly an independent who hates Trump, possibly a Republican who thought, hey, maybe we could get some sympathy for Trump if we firebomb this place. I think the point is that when you incite people to riot, to, to, to use force, there are, enough, there are people out there who will do so. Um, it, the, 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 the right maybe has a majority, it seems to have more of those crazies than the left, but the left has got some too. <laughs> and, right. and with that note, we'll go to break, but also include the Democrats in that same county held a GoFundMe project to raise $10,000 $10, to reopen that office. We're voting, and, and they raised the money, I believe, in less than two hours. But with that, we will go to break. You know, Shelley's Backroom has been hosting backroom politics for seven years. Seven years. It's still unbelievable we've been doing it that long. But make no mistake about it, Shelley's Backroom is one of a kind in Washington, D.C. Shelley's is a comfortable retreat for cigar aficionados and those who simply want to unwind. The casual but elegant space features soft lighting, cozy couches, and overstuffed chairs. Shelly's Backroom is a cigar-friendly establishment, but the state-of-the-art air purification system 
keeps the atmosphere comfortable for smokers and non-smokers alike. Sit back and enjoy yourself while chatting with friends or watching one of the eight high-definition TVs or come by any Tuesday, enjoy your favorite cigar or one of the signature cocktails and watch how backroom politics is made. Convenient to public transportation and the sites of the nation's capital, Shelley's is easily dividable to accommodate intimate gatherings or large-scale special events. Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob says, it's the place to be. some time. So he was he he believes 
what, what, what he was saying is that, that the media is sort of a third force um, uh, supporting Hillary. Um, now, the media, of course, pushes back very aggressively on that and say, wait a minute, our job is to report what's going on. We are reporting what Donald Trump is saying. People who are op-ed editorialist types will, will, will comment on, on how correct that is. But mostly um, the, the, the major news organizations are simply saying, here's the latest thing Trump has said. Unfortunately for Trump, some of the stuff he's, much of what he is saying now, especially in this desperate period, is so outlandish and so over the top and so offensive to so many that the, the, that, that the media is at risk of being blamed for doing its job, which is to report what is going on out there. Now, having said that, let's not pretend that reporters aren't human beings with opinions, uh, inclinations, preferences. Um, and, and the reason there is a Fox News uh, is because some pretty smart people concluded that the pre-existing print and broadcast media out there had a, if you will, Democrat tint to it. Liberal. Um, liberal, liberal, liberal. Fair enough. A liberal, a progressive, as they like to say, because they, they don't like to acknowledge the reality of being liberals. Um, and so some smart guys at Fox conclude, you know, I think there might be a marketplace for uh, uh, some different perspectives that in our mind are underrepresented in, uh, in cable television. They were not underrepresented in radio, but they were definitely underrepresented in cable television. And, and you know, that doesn't mean that everything that comes out of uh, MSNBC is, uh, has, a, has a liberal or democratic uh, uh, leaning to it, nor does it mean that everything that comes out of Fox News um, is, has a right-wing tin. But there's clearly... Uh, a different emphasis, different uh, different types of people. Now, if you're Donald Trump, and you have <laughs> you have not just offended a lot of uh, a lot of liberals and Democrats, uh, progressives, if you will, but but a lot of independents and and a fair number of Republicans. What the hell do you expect when people talk about your words and folks find them offensive? You can't blame the messenger. I think almost every politician has at one time or another said something stupid and had the the, the, the news people report it. Except and for you. You, you never said anything stupid. No, no I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I could tell you a story. It was one, one of the dumbest things I ever did. And they reported it. You know, and I, oh, tell us how. <laughs> yes. And, and I, I, I really was very annoyed that they had to <laughs> Bob Hine, but it was legitimate. I think that the you know, journalism is job to job. They got a job to report what's going on. They're doing a good job. I think you know it's 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 you know there always is going to be back and forth. There's always going to be disruption over here. Or somebody said, "What did you say that? What do you really mean by that?" Well, but, be- before we turn to Denise, we just play devil's advocate here. While I have not confirmed the numbers Newt had come up with on the Sunday talk shows, uh, he did actually suggest the amount, the, the, if you just ran a stopwatch on the amount of time for, for lack of a better phrase, Trump's little se- sexual assault allegation coverage time 
versus Hillary's new email revelation that's what we're looking for, um, that the, the Trump allegations have received significantly more time than the Hillary email. Uh, They're more outrageous. But it's more outrageous. You know, sexual activity may be different than political activity. And the way to keep it, and so you know, it may be more newsworthy. <laughs> okay, that's a worthy question yeah. because that is a yeah. that is a, a a human question. The newsworthy if you're on one side of the aisle or the other. The the thing that's attacking your opponent is obviously more newsworthy to you than the, than that which is attacking your person, Denise. Jeez, if only Donald hadn't said. I don't sexually assault women. I'm just a nice little old Boy Scout who, you know, keeps his hands to himself. If only he had just said that. But no, Donald had to say what he said. So he opened the door. So I have no sympathy for him. And he should have expected this because, my God, he did it. So if he doesn't remember it, well, shame on him for not remembering it. Well, he allegedly it. did it. He didn't. Well, I have to say, it's been, I mean, if you look at the Washington Post today, it yes. was amazing the number of stories, and they're over and over and over again the same pattern. Gee, Donald's he, great. Going now back to the primaries, he started doing things that were bringing this kind of coverage to him. Yeah. And he had plenty of time to stop it. You know, he, he, could, he could see the effect it was having. It was negative. It was not good. And he could have stopped it. In fact, there's a little reason to believe that he had some advisors who suggested he stop it. But he, he, he can't stop himself from saying things that are outrageous enough that they are going to be big time in the media. Including one of the women that he allegedly sexually assaulted was not attractive enough, or he alluded to was not attractive enough oh, yeah, for that, that, to be well, sexually yeah, assaulted. Why would he truly go for the female vote, There's, a, there's a real winning argument to win over the ladies. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I couldn't have done it because you're not. He can't <laughs> not step on his private parts when issues come up that 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 trigger his uh, his brain, and he becomes his own worst enemy. We saw it in the first debate where he never talked about the emails. He never talked about the Clinton Foundation. In the second debate, right on the heels of the uh, the disclosure of the of the <laughs> Of the uh, the unfortunate for him, ex- and even more so for Billy Bush, exchange that they had uh, 11 years ago in their youth and their respective youth, um, when when he, Donald when, Trump was only 60. No, he was only 50, 50, he, was 50, only, he wasn't 59. even 60. Yet. He was only 59. 59. When he was talking, like as his wife said, and trying to defend him, she said, "You know, sometimes at home." I feel like there's two little boys there, our 10-year-old and Donald. That was one of the most truthful comments that came out of, out of, 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 of her interview. Um, and and he, he can't get out of his way. In the second debate, he at least brought up a little bit of email stuff. Still nothing on the Clinton Foundation. We'll probably talk later about tomorrow's debate, but that is still an area ripe for conversation. But he's so takes the bait that he that that Hillary and we'll we'll, we'll see um, uh, how how the moderator behaves tomorrow, uh, Chris Wallace, um, uh, that that 
he may still go down this path of rigged elections and anger and charges and, and a locker up uh, and miss the big targets. I don't know it'll matter now because I think the vote, the, 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 the public's mind is pretty well made up. Here's John. Uh, and joining us around the table, uh, as he does from time to time, John Allen. John, you had a thought. Well, I, uh, I had a lot of thoughts. Number one, um, just coming into this a little late and listening to Allen, I think uh, the whole boy talk thing, aside from the basic offense, offensiveness that that's what boys do is talk like that, She's comparing her husband to her, what, 11-year-old son, 10-year-old son, and then saying, I've got two boys at home, suggesting that it's appropriate for her 10-year-old son to say those things, which I find it to be even more abominable that that, you know, the whole whole line of thinking there is awful. It's worth noting that Donald's two older sons have said, I forgot whether 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 that's Donald Jr. or Eric, said that if women can't take that kind of talk, maybe they should teach kindergarten. I think I've said this on the, on the show before, and I've said it in other venues. All of those words have fallen from my lips before, just not in that order and not in that intent. And some of, them, some of those words I would be embarrassed to have out there. And if you said, here's a recording of you saying this word, I would say, good God, I'm sorry that I said that. Like, I shouldn't have said that. That was a terrible thing to say. Donald Trump's like, yeah. Kind of happy about it. Yep. yep. No, no, no big deal. I mean, the, the recording itself, forget the actual allegations of sexual assault. So the recording itself, he's not ashamed of. Doesn't seem particularly regretful of what he said. Uh, and, you know, and then the sexual assault claims, I, you know, obviously I wasn't there for any of that, but him, there's a lot of smoke around that. I don't think you're attractive enough to be a victim. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I... <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> time out. Time out. Uh, Alicia Machado got fat shamed, and uh, it works to her benefit, and I'm hoping that you're fat shaming me as well. But it works to my benefit. Bye bye. You get it. No, I mean, I think that is, that is kind of a, a, a worthy rabbit hole to go down because I found myself actually playing to uh, female colleagues and friends. The Guys, we, we are notorious for not being always saying wonderful things. That said, for most men that I know and have interacted with, the level to which Donald went, and I actually had, literally had this conversation in a locker room after playing basketball last weekend, went so above and beyond anything any of us have ever dealt with. The, like, how do you draw that distinction? I mean, Denise has, has a, a woman who was once in high school. No, no, as, as a female, as female table, you, but you were once in high school. You've seen us at a, the men at our worst, arguably. Uh, hormones, frontal lobes not fully developed. Where is that line? That being stupid versus being what parading and celebrating sexual assault and being a sexual predator. Where is that line? So I, I, I was really impressed with the number of professional athletes that came out last week and um, Ken talked about it and said, I don't talk about this in the locker room. You know, this is not the behavior. And, I, and, I, and I, um, I'm upset at more than what it said that he's comparing this to the locker room because that's a professional environment for me. 
So kudos to the professional athletes. No, um, like all of whom are totally consistently faithful to their spouses and girlfriends. Oh, okay, I'll go there. Um, if Obama's language was hopey changey, like Donald Trump's is like rapey change. <laughs> if that was, if that was two guys sitting around going like, God, she's hot. I'd like to date her or whatever. But, I mean, it's and, like a salty. And, and that's what's troubling to me because there, there was an article in the Washington Post this week that said this is becoming the rape election. I mean, for the Washington Post to put down in print, this is becoming the rape election. We got to get ourselves out of the gutter. And then you're one really, of the anti-rape election. Well, Alan Moore, you had a comment. Yeah. So, so I, I was I was in California last week and didn't get to participate. I wasn't sure how much you guys had, had dug into all of this, but. I started uh, going to locker rooms in the seventh grade. That was junior high school. That's when you had to go take your clothes off, go take a shower, just be humiliated uh, in front of the boys who were, who were, shall we say, more mature than you. And some more humiliated than you. Absolutely. And, and now that's you, locker room talk. And that's when it starts, the locker room talk. And then it evolves through junior high and then high school. And I played college sports. And, and, and I know well, I'm very well aware of, A, what, what, what boys talk about in and around the locker room. I'm also aware what boys talk about away from the locker room, just boys among boys. I mean, one of the things that I was intrigued with Melania Trump saying it was boy talk. It doesn't have to be a locker room talk because boy talk – one to one, one to two, one to three, one to four, boys talking about about uh, uh, <laughs> about their 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 interest often usually uh, in the opposite sex. Um, it's some, oftentimes making up conquests that never existed. The, the, Something the, like seventh grade over again. Yeah, well, and it, it you know it continues. Well, just yeah. It continues, and then. It goes away. So it, it, when when you get into your twenties, maybe some guys that are out in a bar and get a little have a have a few beers and admire some 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 person maybe in inappropriate ways. They may talk <coughs> in ways that reflect their eighth grade um, the, 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 uh, brain. Um, and then they get to their 30s and they get married and they move on and they get to their 40s and they get to their 50s. And, and, and there comes a time when then they get the, where they forget all the that stuff, stuff is, in, is, is in the deep past. It becomes ancient history. And I think that even though you find the Trump defenders <coughs> saying, well, 11 years ago, comments from 11 years ago, well, this was 11 years ago. Um, yeah, when he was 59 years old. Guys who are <coughs> of, of, of an age stop talking like that. Billy Bush was, I think, in his 30s then, and, of course, his career is on a whole new trajectory. We'll see what happens um, to him. Yeah. But, but uh, uh, it, this boy talk... For most boys, most males, comes to an end when the guys are in their 20s, and if not 20s, by mid-30s. It's just, and when you have families and children and so on, this guy never got past it. Now, what he talked about was not just, it was was ironic, he talked about 
his failed attempts to seduce a married woman. Now, why a guy would want to talk about his failure, especially if you're Donald Trump, well, what that told me was everything he says from here on out is true because this is not a guy who admits to failure. So he talks about his efforts and his failure, and then he says, but guess what I am able to do? I can grab and and grab anywhere. I can kiss, and nobody cares because I'm a celebrity. You have to believe that he means that. And then when these women come forward and say, yep, yep, yep. Which is, which is reflective of his, of his entire platform <laughs> and his entire personality and his entire life, which is, I'm rich, I'm famous, I can get away with screwing whoever I want, however I want, whenever I want. And it's also that he said. And let, let's add, um, do you guys read the, the Ruth Marcus op-ed? Like, I'm typing the Washington Post, but it, it really was excellent. You, you guys have read Ruth, Ruth Expand Marcus? Expand on that. Ruth Marcus writes a lot of op-eds, and um, apparently she had a, a similar type incident. It was not with uh, Donald Trump, but it had happened early, very early on in her career. And uh, she said she's only talked about it once, but she, you know, she, it was something where uh, she, it happened and she put it away sort of like a lot of people did. Uh, but when Donald Trump's statement came back up, she thought about it and she decided to publish it and talk about it. And that's actually important right now because what Donald did, a lot of other men did. And it's, and unfortunately, it's also raising a whole lot of questions of what was acceptable in um, the era of which Donald was growing up. It wasn't, it should have been, but it was. And now it's opening a lot of cans for a lot of women who are beginning to talk. And um, as a woman, I'm glad people are beginning to talk. I'm appalled that they're talking under these circumstances, but Hey Donald, you opened something and um, it's not going to be close. Again. So I, I have, Two thoughts on that. One, even with the that the Billy Bush interview, probably far from the creepiest things that he said. Uh, as far as the creepiest, we're talking Jared from subway level of creepy on more than one occasion. Seeing uh, young girls, we're talking 10, 11 years old, and saying, "Well, in 10 years, I'll be dating her." Uh, and believe it, at least one occasion that was caught on tape, which. It's sort of mind-blowing to me, um, in addition to referring to his own daughter as a piece of ass, which is To be fair, I think how it's shocking. Yes. He yeah. agreed. Okay. He simply agreed that it was true. He said, can I refer to your daughter as a piece of ass? And he said, yeah, sure. Men, so, men with daughters around the table? Wow. Would any of you no, 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 agree no. with that? Wow. I'm just saying. Wow. I thought, look, I thought. Even on Howard Stern. He'd be picking his ass up off the floor. I thought what he said about his daughter was significantly more problematic than what he said to Billy Bush, okay? I was appalled by that. I've called other people's attention to that. I'm just trying to get the facts right. Fair enough, fair enough. He he went on with Howard Stern, since we're talking about it, and Howard Stern says, yeah, your daughter, I mean, she's, she's voluptuous. Did she... Have a boob job? And Trump says, No, no, she didn't. I would know. No, that's all real. She really is voluptuous. Nobody I have ever met have I heard talk about their own daughters that way. I've got daughters, I've got stepdaughters, I've got granddaughters, I mean, you name it. And I cannot 
possibly imagine talking about uh, uh, a daughter of all things or a wife. I mean, it doesn't matter. The, 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 I, I don't talk about women that way generally, but when it's your own child, your own flesh and blood, it creeps the hell out of me way more. Not that I liked his comments with Billy Bush as a 59-year-old or would ever want to defend them. It's just on a relative scale. It's far worse for this father to think about what he said about his own daughter. Well, but well, nobody it, said anything when it, he actually said it. And, and that, that's part of the reason I bring up the whole thing with Bruce Marcus. Nobody said anything. Nobody, nobody said, hey, Donald, this is totally inappropriate. We're not putting you on the air. Nobody said anything. Stern was feeding well, it. I, 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 I understand how Stern was feeding it, but at what point in time do we as a society need to look and say, you know what? The statements that were made in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and in the aughts were not appropriate. And we need to acknowledge that they weren't appropriate. And I think we've given a lot passes to a lot of people when we should have said they weren't appropriate. And, I, and, I'm gonna, and I'll take the next step. I've had a lot of conversations with girlfriends this week about Bill Clinton. And it's because it comes up vis-a-vis what's going on with Trump. And, and the conversations we've been having is, well, should we reexamine what happened with Bill? Should we, would we have accepted today what we accepted in the mid-'90s? Oh, hold the Bill Clinton. We'll, we'll talk about that in the Hillary segment. But in addition to that, I was, it, and I have to loop in both the, 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 the comments about women, and unfortunately, uh, Admiral Ken is not on the show today. But I found myself in the conversations with folks <laughs> with, uh, surprised by what the hook was from the communities that were affected. So Admiral Ken, African-American, a retired Navy admiral, and I forgot what the full extent of what Donald Trump's incredible comments about the African-American community were. And I remember thinking to myself, well, this is what the real issue was. And I was wrong by what what the offense was. And the offense was taken by middle-class African-Americans suggesting that their neighborhoods were in shambles, their their houses were on fire, they were going to get killed, they had no jobs. With women, I also thought I understood where the actual anger was, not to su- suggest anything that the Donald had said was correct, but I was surprised that the real anger and the real frustration was when he said I was a billionaire and I was powerful and I, they could just do this. And that's what I was most surprised by. And I wasn't surprised by Donald. I was surprised that I got it wrong. Denise, you want to chime in on this? Uh, Bob. But the, the arrogance of that is just a thought stumbling. But, I find that so offensive. But isn't that also the arrogance? Yes. I mean, I mean, I mean the, the, that, that, an attitude that gets you to say, babe, and say something like that in public is just beyond me. Five of the six of us around the table here are white male. And to and Donald Trump's by every measure, I, I believe polling suggested if just white men voted, he would win 49 states. I don't know which one state he loses, but it's kind of amazing to me that that lack of empathy of seeing how other folks might take it. Congressman Al, yeah, you had a thought on it. No, I, 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 I'm just shaking my head. And I, well, Al Moore. Yeah, okay, so, so let's acknowledge that Famous, wealthy men, be it 
Hollywood sports politics of attract have some attraction to some females, and and that's a that that is a demonstrable fact out there. We 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 know it for sports figures. We know it for Hollywood types. We've seen it with different kinds of politicians. Um, it, women have to speak about how offensive it is that somebody talks aloud about what they're able to do, but this didn't start with Donald Trump and it won't end with Donald Trump. A lot of the men who <coughs> who find women attracted to them take all sorts of advantage. I mean, for me, that's womanizing. That's what Bill Clinton was, maybe still is. That's what Donald Trump was, maybe still is. That's different from people who engage in sexual assault, which is what Bill Clinton has been accused of, what Donald Trump bragged about and then has been accused of before he denied categorically and trashed the women who made those charges. I guess what I would say to the, 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 men, in those, in the, the men in those 49 states, you've never had to teach the classes I got to teach when I was... Um, when I was in the military and, and, and afterwards, we would pull young um, lieutenants aside and say, don't be in a room uh, by yourself. Keep the doors open. Don't touch the guys. Don't do any of these things. And, and so I had to do that because there were men in the workplace that I was in who thought like Donald Trump and thought they could behave like Donald Trump. Um, it's not appropriate. It's not right. We as women covered up a lot of stuff. And we did that to protect ourselves, to protect our families, and to protect our jobs. I mean, you had the people reporter who did the same thing. And but you guys, you got to think about this. We've got to start having a more open conversation about what's going on. And with that comment, we'll go to break. It's 5 o'clock. We'll be ordering our drinks, and we'll be coming back to this topic and bring in the past uh, Bill Clinton accusations and whether or not that has any bearings after the break. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's back room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then the great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversations with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room. 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be.
backroom politics. And we are back. We've ordered our drinks. We've lit our cigars. Some of us lit our cigars a little earlier. Uh, but in the world of Donald Trump rhetoric, uh, we, we would be remiss if we did not include a conversation about Bill Clinton's past indiscretions and how that would affect the campaign. Uh, Bill Clinton has uh, been accused of many things, including cheating on his wife with a 23-year-old intern. I mentioned the age because I think that matters. Uh, a 23-year-old intern, uh, Paula Jones, Tawana Brawley, who outright accused Bill Clinton of rape while he was attorney general. Is it Tawana Brawley? No. 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 Sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Tawana Brawley is uh, Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton. Sorry. Wrong name. The Arkansas woman. Juanita Broderick. Sorry. Juanita Broderick. Um, as, 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 as well as as well as Kathleen Lilly, who accused uh, Bill Clinton of uh, of assaulting her in the Oval Office, um, are these things the same? Are they different? Is matter is it a matter of time? Are how do we compare this to the Donald Trump, or does it matter since Donald Trump is actually on the ballot and Bill Clinton no longer is? Congressman Al. Let me just lay out a generality from which we can bounce off in, into that important topic. I watched the other night the movie Chaplin, and it was all about it was a biography, film biography of Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin was in trouble with women all the time, uh, and so were others in Hollywood at that time and since. I think there's been a general feeling for a, perhaps as long as human beings have been around that, that men feel they have license to do that. And I think maybe this whole thing will begin to change that. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not as though what Donald Trump has done is unique at all, alas. It's not, but it's making it harder for me. Um, I, I do a lot of work with victims of uh, sexual assault and rape and uh, encouraging them to come forward and to talk. And what Donald is doing is eventually saying, it's okay, I'm an aggressor, I can get away with it. So the victims are then naturally saying, well, geez, why am I going to come forward? And, I, and so my hope, at least for this election, is that Donald loses, and he, he needs to lose so the victims can come out. Because if he wins, we're going yeah. to go back to the days of Chaplin. But that's still To continue on that, that thought for, for just a second, I mean, what he is doing in intimidating the women who have come out and accused him by talking, of him, talking about them the way that he has, right? So he comes out and he says, they're not telling the truth. He says that they're not good looking enough. He says that, you know, basically said Machado was bad again. Um, you go through all these things and it's like he's trying to intimidate other people from coming out and having their names dragged through the mud uh, for being essentially victimized by him again in a different way. And, uh, you know, I think uh, 
I think, A, that's tragic, right? Like, that behavior is just terrible. I think most people, even if they were falsely accused, their reaction wouldn't be uh, to try to intimidate other people from coming out. And I, I, It's one of the, of the many classless things he's done. Uh, I think this is high among them. Well, unfortunately, in the Bill Clinton category and in the attempt to be balanced, even though Alan does not think I am, uh, the... The, during the Clinton campaign in 92, these were referred to as bimbo eruptions. And even in the movie War Room, there's a video, a video of uh, the uh, secretary, uh, former Labor Secretary's name, uh, Robert Reich, Robert Reich um, on the phone talking somebody down, saying they will be publicly humiliated whether or not if, if, if they come forward. I mean, is it the same kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, I believe it was James Carville who said that you get Paul and Jones by drive, dragging a $100 bill through a trailer park. I think it was only a 20 A 20 I'm sorry, $20. I though. think it was a $100 bill, my, my, my recollection. But, 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 but regardless. He used more than once. Yeah, he did. And, and you know what? We should have called it that. But we didn't. And we, as collectively as a society, um, we did. And, and, and shame on us for not doing that. I'm not going to say I'm patting us on the back today because we're calling Donald Trump on this. But, I, I, again, I, we have to address, if I say fully address what happened vis-a-vis um, Bill Clinton, because if we don't, then the victims, and there have been many, are going to say, well, some people get covered up and some people don't. But do you visit, visit the sins of the husband on the way, Alan Moore? Well, so, so I think there's two things. Let, let's not pretend that nothing has happened in the last uh, 15 to 20 years. A lot has happened. Um, and it, in, in a positive way, in that women <coughs> have continued to, <laughs> to to crush men in colleges of higher learn in, in institutions of higher learning um, in the workforce. Uh, they're they're stretching their their wings. They're catching up. Uh, they're not putting up with all the stuff that they used to. Now it's very hard to generalize. There's differences in. Uh, in in level of education, there's differences in regions of the country and so on. But but th- this is a change long overdue that is rapidly occurring. What the Donald Trump experience reminds us is how much more there is to be to do and to keep up uh, the momentum. Now to your question, is it fair to visit the sins of of the husband under one set of rules, arguably in society, um, back when Bill Clinton? Was uh, was governor and then president and so on um, uh, onto his wife? No, it's not. But what is fair, and this is what also comes out, is the extent to which um, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton was his participant, a knowing participant. There's a difference between knowing and not knowing. There's a difference between willful ignorance and. And, and so on And she was lied to by her husband And that was very painful She's talked about that on occasion She's written a little bit about that The, 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 the charge from a couple of those Who accused Bill Clinton of doing more than womanizing And in fact assaulting them Is that in a, at least a couple of instances She was his partner In intimidating those women I'm not saying that's true But that is a very big deal if if that did in fact occur. The other issue that, that she suffers from 
is that there are a lot of women, Democrats and Republicans and independents, who despise Hillary Clinton. One of the reasons some of them despise her is the fact that she was willing to put up with her husband's infidelities and bad behavior. I'm not saying that, 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 that that's how I feel. I'm simply saying that, that there's an undercurrent of people. There's, 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 there's a lot of women who really powerfully dislike her for various reasons, one of which is that she stood by this man who so publicly uh, humiliated her. Diana. I think that we're getting back to a place where we are blaming women for the bad and in some cases potentially criminal actions of men. Whether we're talking about, like, so, yeah, if Hillary Clinton went out and intimidated these women, there's something wrong with that. But in a morality play that involves a husband, a wife, and uh, a mistress or somebody who was sexually assaulted or there was something out there, like, there's like a level of uh, actual uh, morality and an actual uh, and a societal sort of morality put to it. But like, basically, the mistress is seen as like the worst, right? And then we generally see the husband as the second worst, and then we generally see the wife as you know sort of held up in some you know pedestal like because she was cheated on. Yeah. But, I mean- but this line of argument is that the wife who was victimized in the first place, maybe not victimized as much as somebody who was allegedly sexually assaulted, but also victimized, is then put, she's in a position where she's got no, no good win, no win, right? Like no good choice. Does she defend the, her husband, the person she's married to, is insisting that it didn't happen the way that it was said? And if she's going to defend him, how far does she defend him? Does she leave her husband? Does she take the, the other woman's side against her husband? None of these are good choices. All of them make the woman uh, in question look bad in terms of, like, how society judges her. And what we end up doing, however we do it, all, in all these situations, we end up blaming women for what men originally did. Did he accept the congressman out? I, I agree with you in the sense that if the women – yeah, we're blaming women again, but – the reason so many women are concerned right now is because there, there are a couple of key things in play. Um, there is legislation that up, uh, Senator Gillibrand is probably going to introduce again next year talking about sexual assault in the military and whether or not um, Hillary's views and what she has gone through will influence her support or maybe not support for Senator Gillibrand's legislation. And that legislation is um, it's a game changer. So you, you have that part right there. You have what's going on right now with the Department of Education and the letters they have been sending out to a lot of schools saying, uh, guess what? You have not been doing what you should be doing. Will Hillary Clinton um, follow through with that? And then there's, I want to go back to Senator Gillibrand, who announced up at uh, King's Point today that all of the military schools should be subject to uh, Title IX, and they should actually be subject to the Department of Education rules that they're putting on the Harvards and the Yales and everybody else. Those are important things, and that's part of the reason why what Alan is talking about is important, because we need Hillary there. Let's face it, a Donald would be devastating for victims. But we need a Hillary 
to fully understand. And, and that's what's going on through the mind of a lot of women of, does she understand? Has she, and how does she view some of these issues? And until some of those issues are fully answered, you're going to have a lot of questions. Congressman, last comment, then we move on to the email. <clears throat> All right. I think that probably it would be very interesting to ask, uh, I'm not going to, but ask the men around this table uh, what their sex education was and how that differed from what their sisters may have had as sex education. Uh, my mother, who, who handled sex education in my family, because my father was a very bashful man, uh, she she warned me against women who might take advantage of me and lead me down the road. She told me about the... And that would be Guy Pot. I think that the society really needs to... High school or freshman in college got all the guys together, all the freshmen together, and the, the coach came and told us about it. And essentially, he said, uh, uh, there, there are two medicines that can take care of venereal disease, noacetol uh, and, uh, what's the other one? Penicillin? No. They weren't saying, they weren't, it was not a lecture on Treating women properly, it was a it was a way to keep getting from getting gonorrhea, and, you and, know, and, and implying that you if you're going to do it, protect yourself. Not you shouldn't do it. And I think that the, the education of males in our society is probably not helpful in trying to solve the problem we're talking. Wait, wait. When I was I gotta ask this. When I was in high school. They did. They brought in people to do uh, plays about AIDS, and they scared everyone to death. They were like, "Don't ever do it. If you take it out, if anybody takes it out, if anybody's naked, you're gonna die of AIDS." And they just like repeated this like year after year. And so by the time you're like 15, 16 years old, you're like, "If I have sex, I'm gonna have AIDS, and then I'm gonna die." And have you avoided HIV? I have avoided HIV. Great education for you then. And and and, and I did not avoid sex. And and and, and, and leaving that fat pitch topic that only the Nationals wish they had in Game Five. Uh, I, I, we will move on to the to the Hillary Clinton email. Uh, some more emails have been leaked. Let me just say one thing. I think that 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 Al's experience with his mother notwithstanding, that we the country's come a long way. The schools pay a lot of serious attention to this very subject, not always with the total fear tactics that that poor Jonathan had their experience and fortunately get past, but that that. It, it varies all over the country. There's local school district controversies, but there's a lot of really good material. A lot of it is communicated uh, pretty effectively. Uh, doesn't mean that there's no more, no more disease or no more unwanted pregnancies, which was the other thing your mother was worried about. Um, uh, but but uh, we, we've come a long way, but we've got so much to do, and, and the ability to, to deal with the subject varies greatly 
and families have to be a partner to what's going on in the school. That's all I have to say. Sorry. And we might have a question uh, directed for Congressman Al. Uh, think of Trump on term limits. I'm not actually fully uh, – Kate Hallahan uh, wrote in a, a question about Trump on term limits. Can anyone expand on Trump on term limits? She's, she's telephoned it in from 10 feet away. <laughs> Do you want to talk about term limits? <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I think we need to give Hillary some more time. Okay, so we, we will punt on the term limits question, and, and, and we will, and we will uh, advance to Hillary and her emails. Her I emails, will say this. I am against term limits. <laughs> At least get that in. And with that being the final note, Hillary and the emails. So uh, WikiLeaks released some more emails in the last week. That included uh, John Podesta uh, commenting on both Bill Clinton and control. Uh, some uh, uh, issues with Paul Blagala and polling questions, including uh, questions about uh, then Senator Obama's Muslim background or whether or not there was Muslim background and how that would affect him in the election. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there's an email that came out about uh, the Undersecretary Kennedy uh, allegedly having a quid pro quo with the FBI as far as assignment of FBI agents overseas. Alan Moore, I will lob this fat pitch in your direction. Which email would you like to run with? Well, let, let me start with, with the fact that we're seeing this stuff. Um, I, I, it's scary as hell to think that someone, and it may well be the Russians, it could have been 400-pound kid at home on on, on his uh, his couch in the basement, uh, in the basement. Um, or it could have been a political enemy, or it could have been just somebody fooling around, or other state actors. It's very troubling that obviously confidential private uh, uh, communication is so vulnerable to attack. And I hope we can find. And I guarantee you that. Whatever John Podesta and other Democrats have done this, this time and Republicans have done is going to change because this stuff is so incredibly embarrassing. Having said that, you can't ignore it. It's out there. Um, and, and it is fascinating to see the behind-the-scenes stuff, the issues that people are concerned about, the possible answers, the number of people who are involved. The, how do you manage Hillary Clinton when when – you, you want to get her to do something that you know she doesn't want to do, and you see the back and forth with, between John Podesta and, and uh, Huma Abedin and some others. It's, it's really, really quite interesting. Now, uh, I just think this is our one and only shot at, at this. Uh, I hope it's our one and only shot because it, it, it really is uh, troubling. Now, the stuff that, that, that is, is problematic, uh, problematic for uh, there's a lot of stuff that's problematic for Hillary Clinton, and she can only thank her lucky stars that Donald Trump continues to tweet daily with things that swamp the news cycle, and she doesn't get the kind, and these issues don't get all of the scrutiny that they might get, notwithstanding the fact that the one you just mentioned about this potential possible quid pro quo that was allegedly offered between 
the 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 number three or four person at the at the State Department with a very senior FBI person. State Department was trying to convince FBI to to not classify as secret a particular email. This is not a brand new issue for the State Department arguing about. Uh, uh, about who classifies and what how stuff gets classified, and in not a new issue meaning beyond the Clinton administration, beyond beyond the this crap scandal. This goes this goes back for for you know th- th- this is a, an ongoing constant uh, question. But what was interesting about this one, and it got it above the fold in today's Washington Post, is the fact that a couple of FBI people said that that. State was pushing on a particular email that some FBI people apparently brought up this possibility of, you know, maybe we would classify it the way you want, but, you know, we've been really trying to get you, the State Department, to finance a few more FBI people in embassies in in some particular countries where normally the FBI doesn't participate. That was the alleged quid pro quo that was being discussed, and it, and nothing ever came of either one. The classification wasn't changed, uh, no money wasn't given, but the very fact that this conversation occurred is where the controversy is and what people are, are, are talking about. Congressman Al, but correct me if I'm wrong, and I frequently am. <clears throat> it seems to we'll me, help you. We'll as, help I, you as, I, as I read those news stories, it seemed to me that the FBI was the one that was proposing the quid pro quo. Yeah. Now, yeah. how is that Hillary Clinton's fault? It's not. Well, well, in the world of trying to be journalistic a bit, several of us around the table have had been, been in government. How often does that kind of horse trading occur within government agencies, or was this a special thing with a presidential nominee, Denise? Well, I've done this horse trade before, but that's not what I would have horse traded for, nor do I think that was a horse trade that they would have entered into. I think this was a one-off, somebody thinking, hey, I've got something, I want something, this will happen. No, this is a low-level functionary going off the reservation. There are horse trades that are made, but you don't do it like these. So hold on. I just want to come in here with a, like a baseball bat to the pinata. This is, like, uh, like, and I don't do this very often, this is a right thing media creation of a story. Number one, a lot of writing, a lot of talk, a lot of Trump talk, a lot of Republican National Committee talk and Congress talk about a cover-up, about some sort of uh, collusion between the State Department and the FBI because they're discussing the classification of these emails. Jason Chapitz has actually said that she's hearing something. Wait, that's insane. Every agency has its equities in what's classified and what's not. The State Department, the CIA, maybe the NSA, the Defense Department, all of these agencies, they disagree on what should be classified. As they're releasing all this stuff, they put together a task force, essentially, of all of these agencies representing their equities. They're going to disagree about it. By virtue of the fact that there are disagreements, they have meetings. That's not collusion. It's called government. Anybody who's worked in government before knows that there are interagency task forces to deal with issues that cross uh, jurisdictional lines. So that's number one. Number two, in terms of quid pro quo, a couple things. Pat Kennedy at the State Department is extraordinarily transactional, right? People who have dealt with him know that he's extraordinarily transactional. It would not be surprising to me if he was not responding to things from the FBI for a variety of reasons, up to and including he was waiting for them to say something interesting to him. But, I mean, you know, something of interest. 
if they have a conversation about doing one, him doing one thing that's a favor for the FBI, and the FBI has a conversation with him about them doing a favor for him in the same conversation, and no one says in exchange for, there's no quid pro quo. There is nothing that suggests that government officials trading, uh, horse trading like that is necessarily, necessarily illegal. There's no personal benefit to these things. There's no bribery of a public official going on here. You basically have, as Denise said, some low-level functionary making the allegation that there was a discussion of a quid pro quo. The words of the person who said it, who may or may not understand what that means. And so like, I look at this and I'm like, this is insane. Now, if, they, if the FBI did this investigation and they thought, wow, Pat, Pat Kennedy at the State Department is really engaging in nefarious or illegal behavior, you would think they would be investigating that right now, and we would know about it, right? Like, or maybe we wouldn't know about it, and they'd be investigating well, it. Well, the FBI has said they're going to look into this. But, but Pat Kennedy, well, they kind of have to, because you've got two members of Congress jamming them on it. You've got Jason Chaffetz and Devin Nunes, and I know both these guys, and I like both these guys a lot, but they are a month out from an election, and they are trying to do as much damage as they possibly can to Hillary Clinton, not only for this election, but beyond this election, and you heard something from Paul Ryan yesterday, at least read it in a statement from him, the investigations will continue. What he's saying is, what we're investigating now, we're going to continue to investigate the new president on. That, <laughs> that this will just continue to be an investigation of Hillary Clinton that started with Benghazi in 2012, all the way through 2020. That investigation was so successful in Benghazi, right? No, I mean, come on, <laughs> it turns out four Americans died. Yeah. After all that yes. terrorist attacks at American outposts, then attacked the second one, four American side. Yes. Spent all that money, all of that time, and all of this like partisan BS to find out what we knew within hours. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the only email that came out. There's also an allegation that uh, that that money was direct, directed toward friends of the Clinton Foundation uh, in in Haiti. Today's press. No, okay. First of all, I. <laughs> That's not what's going to hurt the Democratic Party. What's going to hurt the Democratic Party is everybody who thought they were friends then looked at what Podesta was saying about them. I mean, Podesta has already been on the record having to make phone calls saying, I'm sorry. That's actually what's going to be hurtful to the Democratic Party, where he says, insert whatever he was saying, and then has to say, oh, my goodness, I have to now call and apologize. Now, people who have been on the record, um, Secretary Pena and Bill Richardson, have said, no, no, I don't mind being whatever you've said about me. Yeah, they're probably a little ticked. I mean, we're consolidating around Hillary because we want Hillary to, to win. But will there be some ramifications? Yes, there will be some ramifications for this. We're just not going to hear about it because those will be private. But what about what about the allegations that Donna Brazil said she occasionally gets questions in advance and is going to feed them to the Clinton campaign? Alan Moore. It's one uh, one more example of uh, uh, of a disclosure that is highly embarrassing to someone and potentially damaging to someone that they care about. In the case of, of Donna Brazil giving a heads up uh, when she was deputy uh, head of the uh, Democratic National Committee, she's currently acting head of the national uh, the DNC. Um, and and but when she was when she was the the deputy, she passed on a question to the Clinton campaign that she thought was going to show up in a Democratic primary debate 
that she thought Hillary needed to be prepped for, and it turned out that the language she sent over was identical to the language that the moderators were using that had, but then they modified the language when they asked the question. So who does who gets hurt by that? Arguably Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders presumably is furious about still more evidence that the DNC uh, superstructure hierarchy was uh, was in the tank for Hillary Clinton. I'll let the Democrats uh, sort that out. I think this made a very good point about about other things that John Podesta has had to do. Um, not least of all, one example was something that he said about about former uh, New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, where he sort of trashed Richardson. The question was should should Hillary Clinton reach out to Bill Richardson, even though years ago they basically said, you're done, you traitor. Um, a long time ago, things changed in politics. The suggestion was maybe we should make a little outreach to Richardson. He might be helpful to us. Um, and then he described Richardson in some very unflattering terms. Richardson had the good sense, which he does not always show, frankly, but he had the good sense in this case to say, I don't care what John Podesta said about me in an email. That doesn't bother me. People say things all the time. And uh, he's my friend. I want to help Hillary Clinton. And that doesn't, that, that doesn't long talk radio. But for, for Podesta, one of the few sensible things he's ever said. Thank you. Podesta has got tens of thousands of emails. Each with, you know, many with these little mini landmines floating around that have to divert his attention and get all of the uh, the IT people um, to, to start thinking, what do we do next time? How do we stop this? How do we prevent this from, from, from ever happening again? And, and uh, uh, so I think that, that, that we will continue to be titillated, if you will, by uh, some of these things. Um, uh, probably one of the most problematic for Hillary Clinton, and yet it's one that anybody who's been in politics understands what she meant, was when she was, it, when it turned out that, that in, a, in, a, in a speech to, I don't, I don't think this was a Goldman Sachs speech, I think this was a speech to a, a trade association that basically said, you have to have two positions, you have to have, you have, to have your sort of public position, and you have to have your private position, um, those are the kinds of things she's going to have to, to explain, and, and they're very difficult to explain. And with that, well, we're going to our next break. We'll talk a little bit more about the emails because they're going to likely come up in the third debate, which is our last topic before telling me a story. More uh, when we come back. I certainly didn't want to go back. You know, everybody thinks of Shelley's back room as a cigar spot in Washington, D.C. You know what the reality is? It is the cigar spot in D.C. Where else can you grab a great cocktail made by world-renowned bartenders? Or where else are you going to get the finest cigar list of any restaurant in all of Washington, D.C.? And then the great food. You come for the food. It can be the campfire wings. One pound of roasted, not fried, well-seasoned, marinated jumbo chicken wings with choices of Shelly's honey mustard or blue cheese or ranch dressing. These are award-winning wings. 
That's why you come to Shelly's. It's the whole package. You can drink, you can smoke, have great conversations with your friends, and have a great food menu. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. You know what? It is the place to be.
I'm finished with it. In <laughs> <laughs> a table full of politicos, everyone is passing on the, the polling questions. So I will take moderator's privilege and just extend on this. Uh, there, there is something there as far as politics. Wait, you mean if we pass, we're still, we don't get to move to a new no, topic? No, we'll move to a new topic. We're going to close the topic. That within politics, within, within inside baseball, there, there are things that happen, as is the unfortunateness of the email. I mean, unfortunately, poor Colin Powell's email for Alter Pack, in which he had rather insulting things to say about not just former Vice President Dick Cheney, but the entire Cheney family. Um, sometimes those things that are find their, find their way into writing are a bit different uh, and not necessarily what you would wish uh, said in public. That said, we, tomorrow we have our last presidential debate. What do we expect to see? Will the rhetoric be heightened? Will we actually get into an engaged discussion about real policy, how to handle the deficit, how to deal with refugee crises in Europe and uh, from Syria? Will we be dealing with how you deal with Medicare and Social Security? Will these be the topics? Alan Moore. Uh, we will not be talking about those national issues, at least in any depth. We are going to continue, I think, uh, in the, well, Hillary may try. Donald Trump is incapable of going that way, uh, two, personality-wise, and two, knowledge-wise. He doesn't know that stuff. He hasn't spent any time trying to figure out uh, what about the deficit, what about Social Security, what about health care. He operates in this world of glittering generalities. And that is satisfactory to, uh, to his base of 40 to 41% of the electorate. Um, and and uh, unfortunately for Donald Trump, um, uh, that compounded with uh, his other self-inflicted wounds seems to me to be about, you know, where he's, he's going to end up in the, in the low 40s and is going to lose big. Now, having said that, I think what he's going to do in the debate is continue to prosecute the new lines of, of, of attack, and probably it, including um, the uh, uh, the accusations about Bill Clinton. The sexual assault uh, the conversation is not over. He will talk about email. He will talk about content. He will try to stir up the Bernie people. He will try to, to I, I think, say, uh, you Sanders supporters uh, now have ample evidence that the deck was stacked against you, and I hope when you're making up your mind about what you do, you'll look at somebody who would never stack the, 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 the deck against you uh, and will fight for you uh, like uh, Crooked Hillary will not. Crooked Hillary, will that phrase show up tomorrow? It has not showed up yet in one of these debates. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes there. He's been talking that way. Um, he'll talk about the rigged election. I think that much of what we've talked about today is what he will likely try to talk about. Hillary Clinton will, will the last thing she wants to do is, is, is let him get under her skin um, and, and to engage on any of these things. I think she will try to stick to uh, substance and focus uh, on, on, on her policy uh, prescriptions and ideas and, and try to not engage on the, 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 the sort of wild uh, shots that, that uh, Trump seems 
so likely to be shooting uh, around the room. John Allen. I think you'll see Hillary Clinton go back to the bread and butter that you can bait. You don't want uh, a guy with a nuclear code so you can bait with a tweet. We saw President Obama say today that Donald Trump was whining. Who whined? Temperamental children. And I think Hillary Clinton said, by the way, Obama said that over and over again today. I think that's the line that Hillary Clinton is going to pursue. There are basically three tracks that they've been on over the course of the past several months. One is that he's a poster boy for corporate excess. One is uh, that he's temperamentally unfit to be president. And one is that he's a bigot. It's that middle one that is the thing that is driving voters to her more than anything. It is worth noting that there are crazy poll numbers out there, including the, the, his percentage of folks that believe that he is unfit for the presidency is actually lower than the people who actually support him for president, which is a crazy distance. Bob, I'm going to comment. I think Miss Clinton will stay high. I think Clinton will stay high. She's just trying to be presidential, above the, above the Hillary Burley. I think she can try to not de- denigrate anybody, just say, you know, look, I don't want to get down the money with this stuff. I want to stay on the high road. That's all she needs to do because Trump is just going to just keep on jerking around, and the more he does it, the better it is for her. When the presidential debate started, we first heard about them on the radio, and then we heard, you know, on television. And for the first time ever in my lifetime, in my parents' lifetime, and I'm pretty sure in my grandparents' lifetime, we're not letting our children watch this. We we talked about last week uh, where parents... You know, turned on the second debate, realized what was about to happen, and sent their children to bed. I've already had conversations with my daughter's teacher and said, we need to find an alternate assignment. I mean, we have an entire generation of 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th graders that are being told to go to bed so they don't have to watch Donald Trump. That should, in and of itself, be saying something. I'm thinking one thing we may hear from, from Hillary Clinton tomorrow is, is, is a comment like the one made by uh, J.K. Rowling, the author of, of the Harry Potter books. She may cite her, or she may simply use uh, a, a variation. J.K. Rowling said she was she, she issued a statement very critical of Donald Trump, and people said she's British. What do we care what she says? And she came back. She came back with this wonderful response. She said, "Anytime a nuclear armed country." is considering putting a man with this temperament and knowledge um, in control of the nuclear weapons, the whole world needs to care. And I could see Hillary Clinton maybe citing her or making that comment that this is not just about America. This is the the whole world uh, is is invested in this election. Congressman, now, it occurs to me when you ask what they are likely to do, I think probably there are a lot of people around Donald Trump that wished he would be able to discuss issues. He simply doesn't have the knowledge to do it. So he's going to have to fall back on, on Trumpisms. And boy, will that drop him off. And what scares me is who's going to be his guest tomorrow? You know he's going to have a guest. 
how much further how much further down can he go I, I, after I the four winning? I, I don't know, but I mean, we know that he's going to do it. So who's it going to be? By the way, some of these validators that seem crazy to me at this time, Linda McMahon, who ran the World Wrestling Federation and the WWE with Vince McMahon, which is perhaps the most exploitative television uh, about, you know, involving women, where there's, like, abuse of women that, like, runs rampant, not just them fighting each other, but men abusing them, like, running around and, like, skipping outfits and stuff, you know, like, total, like... Seems so strange to me. I feel like the people that Donald Trump surrounds himself with tell you a lot about Donald Trump, even before you hear him open his mouth and say the dumbest things you've ever heard. Well, and what fascinates me is is the number of people who say, "Well, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because he will surround himself with people who will calm him down in that and see that oh, yeah. he does right." I don't believe that because I don't think he'd I don't think he'd want to do that. Well, I agree, but what I'm trying to figure out what is the mental process for anybody who's watched this who would think that that would be the case. I mean, you couldn't control Donald Trump with a taser and a chair. I mean, that's a WWE kind of reference. I mean, the chair especially. Uh, folding table, you know, what else? And even if you hit him on the head, you still could contain him. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. Donald, Donald Trump rough. Not winning this election. Landslide. Landslide. It would take a flood. It would take a Noah proportions flood for Hillary Clinton to lose the election at this point. Well, that's my concern. It's actually that no proportions flood has already occurred in North Carolina. And will they try to use that? The firebombing of the Republicans? No, no, no. no. I'm talking about the flooding in eastern North Carolina. Oh, the literal flooding, yeah. Yes, the literal flooding. Will they try to use that? Uh, I don't think... Well, I I mean, among other things, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna come down to North Carolina. I think she can lose North Carolina. It's no big deal. Well, with that said, we are reaching that final segment since we don't have a whole lot more on the debate. Since none of us are expecting great things from Donald Trump, and maybe a loose attempt at a policy conversation from Hillary Clinton. And dear God, what does that say about our democracy? But we will advance to I know Congressman Al's favorite portion of the show, tell me a story. Congressman Al, do you have one for us, please? I think I've discussed my mother's talk about sex with me. What else have I got to reveal? You know? <laughs> I think that's enough. Take it off your life. <laughs> She's dead. <laughs> John Allen. I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> Sorry, Congressman. <laughs> um, I uh, I think that, you know, when I was a young boy and growing up in the locker room, and, no, I, I'm not repeating Alan Moore's seventh grade locker room story. Um, I thought one of the interesting things uh, in the emails, the John Podesta emails that came out, was a debate between uh, several Hillary Clinton's aides, a discussion between them and uh, Huma Abedin, who channels her, the sort of Hillary translator, about uh, canceling a Bill Clinton speech to Morgan Stanley uh, three days after she was planning to launch her campaign. Uh, And it took Bill Clinton staff and Hillary Clinton staff a long time, like a week or so, to come to the conclusion that Bill Clinton should not give the speech, which would, of course, put a huge damper on her rollout as Bernie Sanders and others criticized him for giving a speech to Morgan Stanley, uh, you know, one of the Wall Street banks that she's accused of being too close to. Um, 
what's fascinating about the chain of emails is that Hillary Clinton was the one that kept pushing back and saying, no, I think Bill should give this speech through whom the avenue. She kept coming, she kept coming back from the chain avenue and going, Hillary feels really strongly about this, uh, that he should go ahead and give this speech and he shouldn't cancel. And uh, eventually, and she even said at one point to her colleagues, did we ask, did we make that ask? And they came back and they said, well, yeah, Podesta did. And, and Avenue's response is, uh, I'm going to tell her that the Clinton people, the Bill Clinton people, Bill Clinton, yeah. that they, they wanted to cancel it. Because she would be furious that her own campaign had gotten her husband to cancel something. Backroom Politics. Hey, this is moderator Justin Russell. Uh, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties out there in Washington, D.C. at Shelley's Backroom, but I did want to join in and close out the show. Uh, I've been acting as producer for this week here in New Jersey doing uh, other things political up in the Garden State. But that being said, on behalf of Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Denise Krepp, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, uh, special thanks to our friend from the Hill and from Vox. Uh, we are going to say thank you to John Allen. With we're going to be uh, live next week from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We will be back. I'm getting all kinds of stuff. And everything here says I'm still live. No, actually, I'm going to pull you back in, Dan. Hey, Dan Lipner, are you there? Nope, still no Dan Lipner. Anyway, uh, that being said, uh, you can follow us on our website, www.backroompolitics.com, or .org, rather, backroompolitics.org. You can follow us on Twitter, at Backroom Politics. You can email your questions and your thoughts to me, justin at backroompolitics.org. And I believe, I will double-check with John Allen, but I believe that we, myself, Dan Lipner, and especially John Allen, will be on our friends at Sidewire covering the debate tomorrow night. But other than that, have a great week, America. hope you'll check in with us next week where I will be back in the moderator's chair. Have a great week, America. We'll see you then. This is Backroom Politics.